0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me for a scripture reading to Exodus chapter 9. I'll be reading verses 1 to 7. We're using a pew Bible that can be found on page 60. We continue this summer looking at the plagues and the Passover. Passover. And this morning we look at the fifth plague, where the hand of God severely strikes Egypt's livestock. So we turn to God's word now. Exodus chapter 9, beginning at verse 1, let us hear the word of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the Lord of Israel shall die." And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Let's the reading of God's word. Let's ask his blessing in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. What the spirit of the living God is teaching the church of Jesus Christ from this passage of scripture. May you, O oh Lord, bless the preaching of your word. May you illuminate our hearts and minds to hear and to believe, to trust that your word is true. And that you are indeed the God of all nations, the God and creator of heaven and earth, and that there is none like you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In the 1980s and 90s, Great Britain suffered a pretty severe plague. And this plague spread in parts of Europe as well. And it was a plague that affected the central nervous system of adult cattle. How did it affect them? Well, the symptoms included inability to walk, showing signs of neurological problems. The disease is called mad cow disease because they were stumbling and they looked mad, crazy, because it affected their central nervous system, brain and spinal cord. Many, many thousands of cattle were diagnosed between 1986 and 2015. The peak of cases occurred in 1993. It was a fatal disease. There was no treatment. The cow- thousands of cows died or were killed. But it was also a disease that was transmissible and fatal. And so... Governments had to protect their nations and the peoples. Trying to determine whether they can import cows from particular areas of the world. Because of the fall, the creation suffers and groans. Because of the fall, we have thistles and thorns. Because of the fall, we have diseases And death, because of the fall, we have pestilence and plagues, nature affected by the fall. What's different about the fifth plague? What stands out about the fifth plague from the rest of the plagues in human history? Well, the plague of the death of the livestock of Egypt is distinct in that it is a supernatural work of God's power. God's hand, which is a way of saying God's strength and power, severely strikes Egypt's livestock. Power. Power. We saw earlier in the plagues, God with his, the magicians say, this is the finger of God. This one is the hand of God. God comes down now with a more serious plague. We see the plagues increase in its severity and seriousness.
1: It's as if he's coming down carpet bombing now. There are a number of Bible
0: interpreters that believe the death of the livestock here in Egypt occurred because of the rotting and decaying frogs in the second plague. You remember that plague? What happened at the end? All the dead frogs were piled up in heaps. And then what plague you have next? You have the gnats, which they believe the gnats came from the frogs. And then came the flies. The piles of dead, decaying Frogs then created a toxin called anthrax, which then killed the livestock of Egypt. It's an interesting theory. I mean, in in nature, yeah, you can see that happening, right? Nowadays, what do they they have either burn or bury, get rid of dead carcasses? for fear of disease. But here you had piles and heaps of frogs decaying. In other words, you had the stench of death throughout the land of Egypt. The scope and timing of the plague, however, is a supernatural work. <laughs> Whether or not this is the case, what's so interesting and distinct and serious about this plague is that God's hand is in it. God's power is in it. He determines the scope of it. Who, how far this plague extends. He determines the timing of it. Tomorrow this will happen in the land. And he does it according to his sovereign plan to demonstrate his power and might. Look with me in your Bibles. Verse 1 to 3. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. In other words, that they may serve or worship me, offer sacrifices to me. This word serve has the idea of worship. We've talked about this in the past sermons. For if you refuse to let them go, and now listen, if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, this is something new. And still hold them. In other words, if you still hold them in bondage and slavery and keep them to yourselves so that they will not go and worship me and serve me. This is what's going to happen. Upon your livestock, in your field, the horses, donkeys, the camels, the herds and the flocks, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague a very severe pestilence or disease will fall upon your livestock that are in the field. By this time, doesn't Pharaoh know that he and his gods are no match for the
1: God of the Hebrews? I mean, think about it. Over and over again,
0: warning after warning, Plague after plague. And this is the fifth plague.
1: We have more to go. Once again, God gives Pharaoh an opportunity to let God's people go.
0: If he will not let God's people go and still hold them in bondage and slavery, then the next plague will be very severe. Notice the emphasis there. This is distinguished from the other plagues. Pride blinds, pride blinds the hearts of sinners. Pride blinds the hearts of human beings because human beings are sinners and born in sin.
1: Pride blinds us from the truth. Pride blinded
0: Pharaoh from the truth. And God's hand will severely strike Egypt's livestock, demonstrating His power in all the world, demonstrating that there is no God like Yahweh the Lord. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again because these plagues ultimately point to the power and might of God who in these plagues are demonstrating that he alone is God and there is none like him. Bend the knee to him, serve him, love him. So yes, God severely strikes Egypt's livestock, but what is God doing when he severely strikes Israel's livestock my outline is different than past outlines today for a reason. Because first I want to look how the hand of God, when, when he strikes Egypt's livestock, what is he doing? The hand of God strikes Egypt's gods. Today, I'm sure there are many animal lovers here. I'm in Daman, after all. You love your animals. You love your livestock. People love animals. You got your dog lovers, cat lovers. Around here, you have your chicken lovers, cattle. I know some love pigs. Have you found yourself talking to your dog or cat as if it speaks your language and understands your language?
1: Things weren't too different in Egypt. They loved their animals. In fact,
0: animals to Egyptians were sacred. They were sacred. I sometimes question whether we think our animals are sacred too, the way we act around them. But they associated their gods with particular animals. Not only that, but these the way they associated their gods with particular animals, they associated them in the way in which the animals characteristics show. So in other words, for example, gods or gods associate gods or goddesses associated with serpents were known as deceitful gods. Gods or goddesses associated with let's say A lion, the god Sekhmet, was the god who manifested himself as a lion because he is one who demonstrates power. The goddess Bastet was associated with cats. In fact, cats were one of the favorite gods of the Egyptians because they associated this god with the god of pleasure. Historians say that Egyptians were the first to domesticate cats. So, hey, there you go. For all you cat lovers out there. You know, today we have pet cemeteries. Today you have options to cremate your cats or have memorials for your cats. Little stones that can be engraved and placed in your garden or wherever. In memoriam to your cats or dog. Again, not much different in Egypt. Egypt. It was commonplace. They had religious services for their animals. They mummified certain animals. And they would take the mummification of these animals and place them within their idol gods. So if you had a stone god inside, that stone image would be the mummification of that animal. And would be placed in a temple for worship. So each animal may have their own distinct temple for worship. The Bible teaches that the plagues of Egypt were attacks against the gods of Egypt. Numbers 33, verses 3 and 4, we read, On the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. On their gods also... The Lord executed judgments. So in the plagues, he's executing his judgments against the gods. And like the plague of flies, it's difficult to determine which god or goddesses of Egypt are being judged here. I would say that God is carpet bombing here.
1: God is carpet bombing God is dealing with many of them in this one plague.
0: There was the God of war and the God of war was associated with a horse. There was the God of fertility and the God of fertility was associated with the black bull. You had the God set who was the God of warfare, storms and violence that resembled a hyena or jackal. You had... Isis, Isis was a god who is associated with cattle. You had other gods associated with rams, herds, flocks, livestock, cattle, horses. The goddess Hathor was one of the most prominent gods because she was the goddess of motherhood, love, sexuality, beauty, joy, She was the epitome to the Egyptians of femininity, of what it means to be a woman. And she was manifested as a woman with a cow's head. Like the Hindus today, the Egyptians venerated cattle. They have venerated cattle and other milk-producing animals Milk producing animals because they were symbolic of nurturing, nourishing, and motherhood. And God is striking their ability to nourish, nurture, and be fertile by striking the livestock of Egypt. Because it is the Lord who nurtures and nourishes His people. It is the Lord, our shepherd, our good and great shepherd, who feeds His flock and leads them beside still waters. It is the Lord, by His grace, who leads His people, Israel, out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage and slavery. It is the Lord who saves His people through the wandering in the wilderness. It is the Lord who is like a mother to his children, to her children. It is like the Lord
1: who loves his own and takes them to the promised land.
0: But what did Israel do when they left Egypt? What sin did they commit when they left Egypt, when they were out Mount Sinai? What did the people demand that Aaron do? Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32 beginning at verse 1. and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool and made what? A golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar
1: before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow
0: shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The Hebrew people, what did they do? They reduced God to a graven image. They reduced God to the gods of
1: Egypt. They reduce God to an impotent, powerless
0: God or gods who are unable and cannot save. God wanted to destroy the people, but Moses, the prophet, interceded. God remembered his promise that he made to Abraham that he would make Abraham a great nation. He remembered his promise that from the offspring of Abraham, namely Jesus, he would spare
1: the people of Israel. Moses is like, no, no, don't do it. I beg you, Lord, please remember your promise, Lord.
0: And what does Moses do when he gets down from the mountain and he sees what's going on? His anger burns. (laughs) And he throws the tablets of stone at the foot of the
1: mountain. He destroys the idol,
0: pounds it into powder, and makes the Israelites drink it.
1: We become what we worship. Whatever your idol
0: is, that is what you will become. If you're still in chapter 32 of Exodus, look at verse 35. God spared them. didn't completely destroy them because he remembered his promise, he remembered his mercy and grace towards Abraham and his offspring. But many were killed at the hands of the Levites at Moses' command. And then at verse 35, then the Lord sent a plague on the people
1: because they made a calf, the one that Aaron made. In the fifth plague, you have the hand of the Lord striking the gods of Egypt
0: But what does Israel do when they're out of the land of Egypt? They reduce God to the same idol as the Egyptians. God saves his people from their sin of idolatry so that we run from it and not to it. God doesn't save us so that we have one foot in Egypt and one foot out of Egypt. He doesn't save us so that when we leave Egypt, we take Egypt with us. That is, we don't, take, we don't leave the bondage of sin to then take sin with us into the Christian life and think that it's okay. That we can live in idolatry
1: because it ultimately proves that we don't believe. In the new covenant, Jesus rescued us and redeemed
0: us with his precious blood. He led us out of Egypt since bondage and slavery. He is our good shepherd who nurtures and uh, nourishes us by his grace and love and forgiveness. He is the one who leads us to our heavenly home. He is the one who says, follow me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The one who says they love Christ must run from sin and idolatry. This is why the apostle John ends his letter... Little children, keep yourself from idols because idols can destroy. The hand of God severely strikes Egypt's gods. Secondly, the hand of God strikes Egypt's economy. This plague is de- described as a very severe pestilence. Verse 2, for if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. Notice what it says there. The hand of the Lord brings or strikes... A very severe plague. Now, livestock, horses, donkeys, camels, herds, flocks are important for the economy of Egypt and most nations in those days. How did you transport goods? How did you transport foods or supplies? Yes, they had slaves and manpower, but who did the heavy lifting? The animals did. And so not only is he striking Israel's gods, but he's also striking their economy. And I said this uh, many weeks ago. If a nation wants to strike the heart of a nation, what are they going to do? They're
1: going to go after their economic system. They're going to hit the economy hard. What do you think some nations around the world are trying to do to this country?
0: Tear down the economic system, change it, and it'll bring ruin. The land of Egypt was already, already began to look barren, and has become a stench of death, and will continue because Pharaoh rebels against the Lord and enslaves God's people. God says, "Tomorrow I will do this thing." Okay. The God of the universe is telling you, tomorrow I will do this thing. And after having seen what he did in the past, you would think you would beg for mercy. Wait, God, please. Moses, please spare me. I, I, I don't want to go through with this. I repent. Let me reconsider my position. Let's negotiate.
1: I'll let your people go. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that.
0: In fact, he seems quite okay that not only is his land a field of death and a stench of death, but he's okay with his economy economy crumbling and his livestock dying. This man is so pride-filled and hardened in his heart that he will not budge. Now, there are many liberal Bible interpreters that claim that there's a serious contradiction here. Notice what is said, that all the livestock of Egypt will be killed. And so they say, well, how can all the livestock in Egypt be killed when in the seventh plague you have hail that kills livestock? How can... All the livestock, the horses and other animals be killed when in the, at the end of the ten plagues, and the Israelites flee Egypt, leave Egypt. How does Pharaoh run them down with chariots? Who drives the chariots? The horses. So there's apparent contradiction going on here. How can
1: all of the livestock be killed? Pharaoh wouldn't have any left in the other plagues. Well, again, let
0: us read the text again. Verse 3, look with me in your Bible. Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are where? That are in the field. The horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. There are two very good reasons or explanations It is true that the Egyptians, after the flooding season, they would send out some livestock into the field to feed and keep other livestock in barns. They would keep war horses, those who carried the chariots, those war horses in barns. And so it's very possible that those livestock were the ones that were not killed, only those that were where? In the field. In the field. But then there's another explanation which is very possible because the Lord himself may be using a hyperbole or exaggeration. In other words, all doesn't mean all, all the time. A hyperbole or exaggeration is a way in which the ancients would talk about something In this way, for example, if somebody says to you, man, I've been working night and day. (laughs) I've been working all night and all day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, you know they haven't really been working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. What are they using? They're using an exaggeration. Why? They're simply trying to say that they work a lot. They
1: work a lot. they work a lot of hours
0: so those are two good explanations there but we do know that the lord spared some of the livestock and i think the first explanation is best that the word the phrase in the fields is very meaningful it's deliberate and those in the barns were spared because god will further hit Egypt's economy and God's in the plagues to come. Lastly, the hand of God protects His people and their livestock from His judgment. The hand of God protects His people and his livestock, their livestock from judgment. Verse 4, But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die God did the same in the plague of flies when the Lord separated God's people from Pharaoh's people, the land of Egypt from the land of Goshen, and he does the same here. God spears the livestock of Israel because he remembers his promise to Abraham that those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. I will be with you always. I will make you a great nation. God remembers his promise to his people. He remembers his promise to protect their possessions from harm, and he protects them from his judgment. And it is through the judgment of Pharaoh in Egypt that God demonstrates his power and might. And notice that verse 7 with me, as he conclu- as it is concluded here of this plague. And Pharaoh sent, sent what? He sent Men, investigators, some translations have. He said, investigators, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Literally, the word there is unyielding. The heart of Pharaoh was unyielding, heavy, and he did not let the people go. And so the king sends investigators out to explore what happened, to see if this word is true. To see if the plague really didn't affect the Israelites and their livestock. Did their livestock suffer the same fate
1: as our livestock? And they didn't. God spared them.
0: Because God is merciful to his people. Pharaoh had a front row seat to the wonders and miracles and signs of God. He had a front row seat to the judgments of God. Judgments of God that personally affected him. Think about that. Personally affected him and his people, and yet he was unyielding, didn't release the people of God. At times, the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart to show his power in judgments, and at times, Pharaoh hardens his own heart Hardened sinners refuse to acknowledge God and give Him glory and praise. They deny the truth even when the testimony of God's power is right before them. Right before them in creation. Even when the testimony of God in Jesus Christ is right before them in the Bible, in His Word. Investigators will go out To determine whether this word is true. Whether Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Whether there is true freedom in Christ and forgiveness in Christ. People will go out and investigate the claims of Christianity. The claims of the gospel. The claims of the word of God. They'll explore the teachings of the Christian faith. They'll come over to the land... What are those Christians doing over there? What do they have that I don't have? Why are they content? Why are they blessed? Even amidst trials and tribulations.
1: Why do they have hope? They go out to investigate
0: and see what's going on in the churches that trust in Christ and believe in His Word. They'll come and see whether the claims of Christ are true or not. But you know what? The investigation of the Christian faith is not faith. Skepticism isn't believing. St. Augustine once said, I believe in order that I may understand. I believe in order that I may understand. We pray that the investigation of the Christian faith or skepticism leads to one repenting and believing in Christ, trusting in his mercy and grace. We we pray that they would trust in Jesus, the good and great shepherd who truly nourishes And nurtures his church, his children, his sheep.
1: Because only by grace, the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, are we enabled to call upon him. And we, like every other,
0: are challenged by Joshua when he tells the people... Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve, worship the Lord. We will bend the knee to Jesus. We will pay homage to Him. We will love Him and serve Him and trust in Him that He leads us and guides us. He leads us out of Egypt because the new covenant promise is that the Spirit of God comes into the hearts of His people, cleanses cleanses us of our sins, and causes us to walk in accordance to His word and will. That is the new covenant promise in Christ, and inaugurated by Christ and His shed blood. But we have the warning in Hebrews. Turn with me in your Bible. In Hebrews, Hebrews quotes... From 95, Psalm 95. So turn to Psalm 95. This is a passage that the author of Hebrews uses and references Psalm 95, which was the call to worship, verses
1: 7 to 11. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before
0: the Lord our Maker. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Now listen carefully. Listen carefully what he says here. Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Mirabah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof Though they had seen my work, for forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. And the author of Hebrews will go on to say that they do not enter his rest
1: because of unbelief. because of unbelief. So you may have been born and raised in the
0: the church of Jesus Christ, baptized, and yes, even made profession of faith. There's a warning. Do not harden your hearts in unbelief. Do not go back to the idols of Egypt. Persevere in the faith, trusting in Christ. Christ. That is the message that the author of Hebrews tells each and every Hebrew Christian and each and every Christian. Persevere, press on, looking to Jesus, fixing your eyes on Him because He is the author and perfecter of our
1: faith. Don't harden your hearts. Trust in Christ.
0: And He will take you to the promised land, the heavenly Jerusalem for he is our good and great shepherd. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful that by your grace and mercy, you hold your people whom you've called before the foundation of the world, chosen before the foundation of the world, and chosen in love to be your children, called according to your purpose, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, sanctified by the Spirit of God and called to walk in newness of life. Oh, Father, we praise you and thank you that you are the shepherd, that you are the great God above all gods, and that through your Son and our Savior, we have access to our Father in heaven. We have access to the throne of grace through our mediator, Jesus, who is our good and great shepherd and leads us and guides us by his word and spirit. Father, keep us, we pray, and help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that is in Christ our Lord. In Jesus'